Okay, so happy Easter to everyone. The title of this sermon is Easter Dinner. <laughs> Easter Dinner, because uh, we typically have Easter dinner together. Um, but today we can't, and so at least we can say we talked about Easter dinner. And the text is Luke chapter 24, verses 36 through 49. Luke 24, verses 36 through 49. Uh, I'll read that for us quickly. Luke 24, 36. As they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace to you. But they were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit. And he said to them, Why are you troubled? And why do doubts rise, arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see. For a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he said to them, Have you anything here to eat? And they gave him a piece of broiled fish. He took it and ate before them. Then he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. And he said to them, Thus it is written, that the Christ should suffer, and on the third day rise from the dead. And that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. And behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you. But stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this special day. We thank you that we can celebrate it. We thank you that we can know your heart and your purpose and your works in this world as we look at your word and your revelation to us. We pray that you would bless this time and speak to us through your word and allow our hearts to burn with love for you as the word of God takes root within our hearts. Be with us, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so please turn to someone next to you and say, Happy Easter. Uh, okay, so just to give you, uh, the people at home, a little more of a context of what's going on here. Um, so, uh, you know, obviously you saw Pastor Thomas. He's sitting right there in, in front. Behind the camera, Pastor Aiden is right there. Uh, Nathan is a little bit behind Pastor Thomas <laughs> right there. And then we have April over on that side of the sanctuary sitting by herself. Everyone's generally by themselves. Although I think if Nathan coughed, I think it would go on Pastor Thomas. And then Daniel Chang is over there in the pew on that side. And uh, the other Daniel is over there by himself. On the, on the soundboard. And for some reason, Eleanor is here today. Uh, we don't know exactly why she's here, um, but I think she brought some baked goods for the people that were serving here. Um, and uh, that was probably just her excuse to come to the worship service, but, but she's here nonetheless. So it's uh, one, two, three, four, five, six, eight of us gathered together here. And um, uh, 
Ever since we started this, my family always tells me after the service I come home, they're like, that sermon was so short. Why is your sermon so short? And, and uh, I realized, like, part, oh, did you see these flowers? <laughs> these uh, nice Easter lilies. I mean, we had, to, uh, we had to make this service a little bit more special somehow because it's Easter. We're kind of, uh, you know, we're not doing a lot of things that we normally do. We had to figure out some way to, so, you know, we got these flowers. I mean, thank you to Christine for risking her life in the middle of the pandemic to go out and find these flowers. So anyway, um, yeah, I mean, ever since we started this, I realized the sermons be generally short because um, I was looking at my notes. I think the content is generally the same, but I realized I've been using a lot less illustrations in my sermons because of um, this, this setup. Uh, because... Usually when I have illustrations, like it's to connect with the, the audience or the congregation and then to kind of uh, set it up for the point. But then I realize because people aren't here and there's a lot of empty space, it's difficult to do an illustration, at least for me, right? Like if I share something and it's supposed to be funny, like do I just assume you laughed at home and then, <laughs> and then move on? So I think generally I've been cutting those things out and just putting the content in the sermon. Um, so I don't know exactly how that's going to work. I don't know even like as I'm preaching here, I don't even know like where to look a lot of times. Like if I come to a point in the sermon where it says like the Bible says you're a sinner. <laughs> right? Like do I look at April <laughs> and just say like, or do I just look at the camera? Uh, I don't know. Um, so it's, it's kind of a new dynamic, and, uh, but at least for today, I thought we might do something a little more interactive um, since you're at home listening and things like that. Okay, so I'll ask you, that's why I had to kind of pause in the beginning because I had to actually get my, my feet up, and I have it here, right here, you see, and then, uh, but there's like a 10-second delay, so whatever I say, uh, or whatever you type shows up here 10 seconds later. Um, but let's do something a little more interactive. I'll ask you a question, and then you type in the answer, whatever you think is correct, and then I'll see, you know, I'll see it 10 seconds later. Uh, which holiday consumes more candy, Halloween or Easter? Okay, whatever you think, you can put it in here. And... Uh, Second question, I only have two questions. How much money is spent on candy on Easter annually in America? Okay, so Halloween, Rachel says Halloween, Helen says Halloween, Halloween. Uh, Matt says Easter, Halloween. Nathan Wong is watching. <laughs> Halloween, Halloween. Ruthie says Halloween. Halloween, exclamation. Um, okay, pretty much everyone says Halloween. $14, 14 million. Okay. Um, <laughs> funny, Felix. Okay, so the correct answer is Easter. 
Easter actually consumes more candy than Halloween. Now, in terms of how much money Americans spend on Easter candy, wow, four million. Uh, wow, that's uh, that's pretty high. Not enough is spent, a child says. Okay, so the correct answer to that is $2.4 billion is spent on Easter. And actually, Halloween is not that far behind. Uh, Halloween is at $2.1 billion. <laughs> and this is according to Fortune. <laughs> yes, wow, indeed. Okay, so that's the end of our interaction. Now we know that we're all together. And uh, I can go back to being confused about where to make eye contact. Sometimes I can just look at the, the empty pews and uh, pretend that someone is there. Okay, so we're going to look at this text. And obviously it's a text that comes from the first Easter when Jesus appears to his disciples. And uh, again, the title is Easter Dinner, <laughs> just to give a little more familiarity to uh, our church. Uh, I have one, two, three points. First, Jesus turns fear to peace. Jesus turns fear to peace. Again, verse 36 says, as they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, peace to you. Now, this account takes place on Sunday evening. And a lot's happened on that resurrection Sunday already. In the morning, the women who had followed Jesus, who had served Jesus, witnessed the empty tomb. And then they reported it to the disciples who were confused with disbelief. They didn't believe it. I mean, how could that have happened? And then Jesus appeared to two other disciples, not of the 11, but two other disciples on the road to Emmaus. And at first, they, they thought he was some random stranger, but eventually they recognized that it was Jesus. And then Jesus disappeared after that. So those two disciples went back to Jerusalem and reported what they had just experienced to the 11 disciples saying, and that's what verse 36, as they were talking about these things. So you can imagine the conversation that, that these disciples are having and these two from the road to Emmaus come back and they report, right? It's true. What the women told us this morning is actually true. Jesus has risen. He is alive. We met him. We talked to him. And they're having that kind of experience. And in the middle of that conversation, Jesus appears. We can imagine also all the different emotions that the disciples were feeling before Jesus appeared to them. I mean, they were definitely afraid. They're actually hiding behind locked doors right now, according to John, for, because they're fearing for their lives. They're also experiencing unbelief. They did not believe that um, they didn't believe what the women had told them earlier that day. They didn't understand that Jesus had to rise from, from the dead. They're also probably feeling guilt because 
they just let Jesus down. There's obviously sadness. They still couldn't believe that um, their hopes and all of those things came crushing down, that Jesus actually no longer is there with them. And obviously on top of that, there's confusion. They don't know what to make of everything that's happened in the past few days. Now, as all of that is going on in their hearts, a lot of, a lot of mixture of different things that they're feeling right now, Jesus greets them, pops up, and then greets them with peace to you. We see this word peace early in the Gospel of Luke. In Zechariah's prophecy, Zechariah was the father of John the Baptist. In Zechariah's prophecy, as he foretold what God will do, in Luke chapter 1, verse 79, it says, To give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. So peace was what Jesus came to the earth to accomplish, to bring sinners peace with God. And from that peace with God, that, that we can have peace, security, wholeness, peace. That was his mission. This is the reason why Jesus died on the cross, to bring peace. As one commentator said, Sunday peace to you, Sunday's peace to you is what inevitably follows Friday's it is finished. Because Jesus accomplished what he came to do on the cross, it is finished. Now Sunday he appears and says, peace to you. So this is really interesting if you think about the disciples and what they're experiencing. So right now after Jesus appears and, and gives them his peace, the disciples are not in any less danger now than they were a few minutes ago. Right now if they walk out of this room and then go outside, they're going to encounter people that, are, that, that still want to kill them. But the only difference now is that they're met by the peace of God through Jesus Christ. It's still the same circumstance, still the same. Their life's still in danger. They can still die. But peace. Just like that, Jesus turned their fear and guilt to peace and joy. That's exactly how it works in our lives. We'll always, we will always face difficult things in our lives. Things that we wish we didn't have to deal with. It'll always be there. Our lives will always be filled with confusion and pain and sadness. Even now, there's probably a lot of those feelings. I hear about different things that are going on in people's lives, even in our church. That internship that's lost now because of what's going on. The job that I can't find. The family member who's sick. A friend who's in danger. The loneliness, the uncertainty. And the list goes on and on. Like All of these things, difficulties that we're faced with in our lives. And to all that, Jesus says, peace to you. Faith in his death and resurrection brings us to God. And as we walk closely with God, we can have peace in the daily turmoils in our lives. That is the reason why Jesus died on the cross. It is finished and appears and rose from the grave on Sunday and appears to the disciples 
peace to you. Jesus turns fear to peace. Secondly, Jesus turns doubt to belief. Jesus turns doubt to belief. Now, how does Jesus turn their doubt to belief? A couple things. One, Jesus proves the death and resurrection. He proves the death and resurrection. Again, verse 37. They're all startled, frightened, thought they saw a spirit. He said to them, why are you troubled? Why, are you doubt? why do doubts arise in your hearts? And then he shows them, see my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see. For a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he said to them, have you anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, took it, ate before them. Okay, so Jesus somehow appears before them while they're hiding behind locked doors. So obviously the disciple is going to be startled and frightened. Jesus wants to assure them that it really is him, not a ghost or some spirit form of Jesus. So he does that by these two things. First, he shows them the nail marks on his hands and feet. And secondly, he asks for food and ate before them. Why does Jesus do this? Why does he show them his nail marks on his hands and feet? And then why does he eat before them? Because he wants to point out his death and resurrection. Jesus specifically shows them his hands and feet, right? Not any other part of his body, not his head, shoulders, knees, and toes. Specifically his hands and feet because his disciples saw him being pierced. They saw those marks being made on his hands and feet. And they saw him die on the cross. So that's why Jesus shows them the very marks on his hands and feet that prove his death. And then Jesus eats before them to prove his bodily resurrection. As they see him eat, they can see that he's a real living person. So, does this, so think about this. The disciples saw Jesus die. They witnessed it. They saw Jesus die. And now they see those same marks on his body. But he's alive. And he's a real living person. They see that because he's eating. So that has to mean that Jesus died and that he came back to life from death. And that is exactly what Jesus wanted to prove to them. That he died, that he had resurrected from the grave, and now he's alive. So how does Jesus turn their doubt to belief? He proves the death and resurrection. And then the second thing that he does is that Jesus reveals himself through the scripture. Verse 44, then he said to them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you. And then Jesus begins to basically tell them the same things that he told them before. These are the things that he, the disciples didn't get before. So now he tells them again, but except now it's from this side of the resurrection. These are the words that I spoke to you while I was still with you. 
that everything written about me in the law of Moses, prophets, and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. The law, prophets, Psalms is another way of saying all the scriptures. By the way, this is where, you know, like this idea is where the Jesus Storybook Bible got their subtitle, right? Uh, Jesus Storybook Bible, Jesus Storybook Bible, every story whispers his name, right? He shows them how all the scriptures were pointing to and leading up to Jesus. How Jesus is the sacrifice, that Jesus is the temple, that Jesus is the prophet, priest, king. That every story in scripture was whispering his name, that everything was about Jesus. And as, as Jesus began to do this, now everything began to make sense for the disciples. And again, we can imagine what's going on there. The disciples must have had multiple aha moments that evening. As Jesus is explaining the scriptures and showing that it's about him and how it's fulfilled in him. And as he opens their minds to understand the scriptures, they're thinking, oh, I get it now. Oh, that's what that meant. How did I miss that? It seems so obvious now. By the way, this is why an organized, systematic way of studying the Bible is personally valuable to us. Just a regular discipline of studying the Bible, that's that's valuable to us because notice The disciples aren't necessarily learning new things here. They're now realizing what the things that they had learned previously really means. So we need to remember this when we, you know, when we think, what's the use in reading the Bible when when I'm like not really into it, when my heart's not really into it? What's the point? Because I don't really feel like day-to-day I'm getting things out of it, out of my quiet times. And then we think like that. We think it has no value, and then we, we quit. But you see, that faithful studying of God's word is valuable because that previous knowledge that we gain from studying his word is the very thing that God will use later to give us those aha moments. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. That's what the Holy Spirit was doing here in this room. And that's what he does in our lives. As he takes the word of God that is in our minds, that has already been planted in our minds, and then eventually explodes that within our hearts. Sometimes that happens immediately, right? Like we might have a Bible study, we might hear a sermon, and then simultaneously our hearts burn. But sometimes, a lot of times, it, it, it does not happen simultaneously. It's delayed. That's why we need to be faithful and continue to stay in his word. That's a part of becoming the followers of Jesus Christ that, that he wants to use in this world. That's exactly what happened with these disciples as they continually followed Jesus, not even knowing what they were getting themselves into a lot of times. But eventually, all of it made sense. 
verse 46, and said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead. And now they finally understood, the disciples finally understood that death on the cross and resurrection from the grave was necessary for salvation. Everything began to come together for the disciples. They saw the hands and feet, right? Death and resurrection. They see before them death and resurrection. And they saw the necessity of the death and resurrection through the scriptures. And through that, Jesus turned their doubt to belief. Now, seeing the resurrected Jesus and understanding the scriptures set the stage for something. And that leads us to our third point. Jesus turns ambition to mission. Jesus turns ambition to mission. Verse 47, and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. Notice that the disciples' entire lives changed in this, this Resurrection Sunday gathering. Because earlier in the week, they had other thoughts. They had other ambitions. They had other thoughts and ambitions about their lives and what their lives were going to look like. Earlier in this week, they wrongly thought that Jesus would be a king that would conquer the government with the sword and rule with the sword. And because they thought that, that's why the disciples wanted to follow Jesus. It was even pretty recently that these disciples were arguing about who would be the greatest among them. Because they were all trying to be high-ranking nobles in this new kingdom that Jesus was going to establish in their minds. And it was out of those ambitions, those thoughts, that they stayed with Jesus and followed Jesus. And then, of course, all of those hopes were dashed to pieces on Friday. And uh, since Friday, they've been trying to figure out just how to stay alive. Now, through this one meeting with Jesus, Jesus turns them into basically missionaries into this world with this message of the good news of Jesus Christ. Their lives changed entirely from this one gathering. Now their purpose is to go out and preach the message of the good news of Jesus Christ, repentance for the forgiveness of sins, and proclaiming the good news in the name of Jesus Christ to all nations. Pastor Min Chung once said that the mission field, like what is a mission field? How do you, like, how do you identify a mission field? He said, he said, basically the mission field is a heart without Jesus. You don't have to necessarily go there to find the mission field. The mission field might be right next to you. The mission field is a heart without Jesus. And the missionary is a heart that is burning with love for Jesus. And that's what happened here on the evening of that first Easter. As the disciples came to understand the scripture, their hearts were burning within them. And they could not help but to go proclaim the resurrected Jesus to the nations. You know, sometimes we ask the question, 
Like, what does God want me to do with my life? And that's a pretty common question uh, that people ask at that particular stage of life. As you think about your future, as you think about your career, think about different options and locations, what does God want me to do with my life? Even as you, even as you ask that question and pray about that question, maybe, maybe God's not really eager to answer that question for us. Because in many ways, that question, what should I do with my life? In many ways, that's a very secondary question. Because God is primarily concerned with our hearts burning with love for Jesus. That's the first aim that Jesus has for his disciples through revealing himself and through revealing the scripture before he tells them to go to this place or that place with our hearts that are burning with love for Jesus because from that place, anything that we do becomes the right thing to do as we live to make the name of Jesus Christ known to this world, whether it's to my neighbor, in my workplace, whatever it might be. Finally, verse 49, Behold, I'm sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. And finally, Jesus says, I'm sending you, but don't go yet. Wait for power. Soon they will receive the Holy Spirit's resurrection power. It's the power that raised Jesus from the grave. It's the power that changed their own doubts to belief. I mean, belief enough to be willing to go and die to be witnesses for Jesus. That kind of power that completely changed their hearts. Jesus promises that same power will be theirs as they go to all the nations and proclaim the message of repentance for the forgiveness of sins so that through that resurrection power and through their message, others can be changed to come to know Jesus Christ. Another uh, um, quarantine story. Someone posted this. Uh, you know, someone random posted this. It says today marks three weeks of isolation without. Uh, today marks three weeks of isolation, and they're describing their life since the quarantine, um, and how their life improved because of isolation. Three weeks of isolation without sugar. Walking three miles a day, no meat, dairy or flour. I mean, I guess that's what happens if your choice is eat or not eat. And this person says, the change has been fantastic. I feel great. Zero alcohol, a healthy vegan diet, gluten-free, caffeine-free, sugar-free, and a two-hour home workout each day. Lost 30 pounds of fat and gained muscle mass. And then this post continues. I have no idea whose status this is, but I'm really proud of them. So I decided to copy and paste. <laughs> I thought that was pretty funny. I don't know if you're laughing because I don't see you. Um, but I think that's, uh, I think that's in many ways, a lot of times, 
how we feel as Christians or as, as people who are trying to follow Jesus Christ. We see all these other people who are, seeming, who are seemingly living in the reality of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. They're living with, you know, the, the experience of God's power and experience of answered prayer and like all these things that it seems like different people are on different realms. But for some reason, my life seems to be the same. To that, I would say, um, by faith, we need to make Good Friday and Easter personal. We must believe in our hearts that Jesus died on the cross for me. And that Jesus actually rose from the grave for me. I mean, maybe like, how do you do that? Maybe it's like uh, some time of prayer. Maybe it's some time of meditating on his word. Because those are the means of, you know, faith. But maybe, you know, something like that. But, but in our hearts, we must believe that Jesus, like, Friday was for me. Like, Sunday was for me. It's so that my life can change. It's so that that resurrection power can be the power that I experience in my life. That Jesus actually sends the Holy Spirit into my heart to make a difference for me so that I can overcome my sins and live for righteousness for the glory of God. And again, for that purpose, I would encourage all of us to continue to be in his word. It wasn't just the, the witness of the miracle that changed the disciples' lives. Because even in that day, many saw that, saw that miracle, and in many ways it was undeniable, but in their hearts they didn't believe. So it wasn't just that witness of the miracle, but it was a working of the Holy Spirit in their hearts through the word of God that caused their hearts to burn cause them to go forth and, and become missionaries in this world. So let's continue to be in his word, even in the mundane. Believing that even though it feels like something so ordinary and it feels like nothing's really happening or changing in my heart because I don't feel anything. Believing that God is using that and will use that. to change our hearts. Let's continue to be in his word. And secondly, as promised. So here goes. As promised. No, it wasn't promised. As talked about last week, uh, we'll start our morning prayer um, tomorrow, Monday. So, seven, right? Typically, seven. Uh, I think officially probably seven to eight or something like that. We'll start morning prayer and we'll do that through Zoom. And, uh, and you know, like I was really um, kind of uh, thinking through this. And again, it was just coming from that place of like, what is it that's really uh, one of the more crucial things right now in 
our lives that we need. It's probably spiritual discipline with uh, being at home and uh, uh, being able to work whenever we want, being able to like study whenever we want. Like, we can probably get really lazy. It's ironic, but just having more time can make us more lazy. And so I think what would really help us is to have a regular schedule and discipline. And, and morning prayer is good because if you have to get up by a certain time, that means you have to sleep by a certain time. And uh, if you have to sleep by a certain time, that then that makes you manage your evening hours. Um, and, and that's generally always good for us spiritually. Okay? Um, the reason why some people might not want to participate in morning prayer is because, again, because it uh, limits my options. That means I can't do what I want to do in the evenings and, and um, um, I have to wake up and it's uncomfortable and things like that. But honestly, right now, with most of us being at home, uh, there really are no excuses. Okay? So this is, this is obviously a totally optional thing. We're, we're doing this so that it would benefit uh, your spiritual life. Um, we'll probably... I don't know what the format is. Uh, we'll figure that out. <laughs> we'll figure that out by tomorrow morning. Uh, but it'll just be an hour so that we can have accountability to gather together and pray. And, uh, you know, I heard once, like, if someone said, like, if, if Jesus rose from the grave, then we can rise from the bed. <laughs> okay? So no excuses. Um, those of you that are able to but just don't want to, I pray that the Holy Spirit will urge your heart uh, between now and then and encourage you to come and participate. And uh, as you start off the day with prayer, after morning prayer, don't go back to sleep because then that kind of defeats the purpose of the discipline and the schedule. Afterwards, you know, be in the word and start out with word and prayer. Start out your day with word and prayer, and I think that could really be good for our spiritual lives. Okay? Um, and I pray that through these things, again, no matter what, uh, what the uncertainty is right now in our lives, what the confusion is and how the turmoil that we're experiencing, uh, through these things we would experience Jesus Christ and the peace that he offers us through Good Friday and Easter. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your great love for us. We thank you for your your steadfast patience how you're faithful to continue to work out um, the covenant blessings for your people that come through Jesus Christ even when we turn from you or we are distracted by other things you are so faithful and you are so patient, so loving. And we pray that as we, all the different things that we've meditated on during the Lent season, through um, Passion Week, Good Friday, Easter, the, the truths from your word, we pray that you would allow those truths to, to explode within our hearts and cause us to trust you more and to love you more and to desire you and it would, we pray that it would be the work of your spirit that changes our lives, that no matter what we do, 
even if it's just um, the, a common thing of, of sitting in a cubicle and, and working faithfully or, or sitting in our home and, and doing our studies. We pray that those things would be used by you to bring glory to your name and you would make disciples that will ultimately burn in our hearts with love for you that will go forth into this world and proclaim the name of Jesus Christ. Thank you, Lord, for your faithfulness to us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the, your great love for us. You sent Jesus into this world to live in perfect obedience to the Father, to die on the cross on our behalf, to become the righteousness, righteousness of God on our behalf so that we might have his righteousness. We thank you that because of Jesus, you see us as the perfect children of God. And we thank you that as a result, no matter um, how uh, low some of our moments get in our lives, that you are always with us, and that you are for us, and that nothing can separate us from your love. We thank you also that you give us a purpose and a reason to live in this world. We thank you that no matter what we do, that your desire for us is the same, to make the name of Jesus Christ known and to preach the gospel to the ends of the earth. We pray that our hearts would burn with love for you as we stay in your word, as we seek you in prayer. Pray that you would accomplish that within us and make us into worthy vessels that would proclaim the glory of your name. Thank you, Lord. Be with your people no matter where we are, no matter how we feel in this moment. We pray that you would meet your people with the peace of God. Thank you, Lord. Now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, his unchanging covenant, Good Friday and Easter love, the love of the Father God, and the fellowship and the power, the presence of the Holy Spirit be with you both now and forever. Amen.